You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. I'm Cizwe Mpofu Welsh with you after this for just one more day tomorrow. Can you believe how quickly it's gone? And now we move to the literature corner, and I'm really excited about this conversation that we're about to have. You may have heard of the book recently published around June, July, Born to Kwaito, which is a reflection on the Kwaito generation and a really prescient view on the way Kwaito uh, has influenced culture and some reflections on how we reflect on the Kwaito generation in the current and in the present. And I'm really glad that from our Cape Town studios, I'm joined by one of the book's two authors, Esna Kondabeni, who uh, joins us now to engage on the book and tell us a little bit more about it. Esnako, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Cesar. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. And to kick off, um, you know, I thought the opening passage of the first essay on uh, politicizing Kwaito was interesting. And I just want to quote from the book. Uh, And this is you saying, quote, To be black is to be burdened with the automatic, relentless work of saving other black people. A black person can't simply tell a story out of their love for stories. That story must carry with it some conscious message, preferably political. At the very least, it is expected of black art that it should have the potential to offer solutions to the problems that we face. Of course, one can understand why these assumptions are often taken as given. Black communities everywhere are beset with problems that need solving. And that first essay really goes and delves into this question about what the political importance of Guaido really represented. You know, it was often cast, you say, as a genre, as a music without a message. Mm. But actually, you suggest that if we look deeper, there are really important questions that relate to the political nature of Guaido that have often been overlooked uh, given that the the music is presented as being superficial, um, could you take us through a little bit about your your thinking on uh, the politics of Kwaito? Um Okay, I think I would like to say that first of all, to be black is to be political. It's it's a politicized identity, so I can't imagine there's a moment where that you and that body are not political. And I think that is the first thing that made Guaido political. The mm. fact that it was a genre being made by black bodies. And then you take it further and you say, this is a sound that is coming out from apartheid. And you consider that predominantly it's a sound that's coming from the township, which is also a very political place to be in. So I don't necessarily think that the politic is something that has to be articulated all the time. It's a thing mm. of you are representing something of a political identity because just to say you're black already, even if you don't say you've experienced racism or whatever, you've already politicized yourself. So I don't imagine at what point then we could perceive arts that are exclusively black as apolitical. Yeah, you make you make a really interesting point in the essay about the fact that just because something isn't overtly political, like we're now going to have a song about mm. you know, racism, does not mean that there's not political content. And actually, sometimes the best way to speak about something is not to arrest it, uh, address it directly, I think, but, oh. but simply... Yeah, yeah, sure, no, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I think also another thing that people must remember about Guaido is that it was a visibility. And it was not now a visibility mm. of like struggle music, which I think is what has what had been happening before. 
um, which was not also that visible. But now it was black people from the township being visible, fashioning themselves with um, blue collar wear and just a lot of politics happening where people who have not been allowed to express themselves are so visible. And I think that's something that's so political. You speak even about just just the very act of, of having fun mm. and just being carefree in a way had a political context, uh, context has a political context right mm. now. And Kwato gave expression to that very interesting way of just f maybe some people for the first time seeing black people being carefree and, and mm. having fun without regard for what was going on around them. Mm. I mean, you listen to um, songs made by um, people like the Libra Hugh and they were singing Kauleza, and then you're mm. realizing mm. that people were restricted, their freedom to be and to move was something that was not always there. Like, and people have always been working against this system, that system. So to have that moment and to do this thing that in the past had been prohibited, criminalized, it's, it, I don't understand how any of this is not political. Mm, mm. So, you know, there, there are very, really, various, really interesting um, sort of portraits, uh, ideas, I know that Sihlem uh, Tembu, who's the other author of, of this book, you know, also intervenes on various questions. One mm. of those is, um, you know, what he thinks is this faulty analogy between uh, hip hop and Guaito and the way that Guaito was often framed as mm. you know, South Africa's hip hop, as if as if we needed. Oh, that's you know, me. A South, Afri a South African. Oh, oh, that's you on the second one. Great. Mm. And, and so tell us about, um, you know, your 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 relationship with. South Africa with hip hop, you know, first coming to think, you know what, I actually don't even want to be involved here because of the way it's been framed. And then so, along the road, also kind of feeling like, okay, I see the role for this, but also the, the, the damaging ways in which mm. Kwaito was framed mm. um, against hip hop. I think maybe um, because to be fair, I, I did not grow up around hip hop. I was listening to Kwaito, Maskandi and such musics. And mm. so hip hop was something that I discovered in private schooling. So it was also like a resistance hmm. against the fact that I'm listening to, I guess, these middle class youths and this is what they're consuming and they're not consuming mm. what makes them black South Africans, quote unquote. Mm. And so I guess it was also my form of resisting that. But you no, know, the more you learn, the more you realize that there isn't anything wrong with cultural exchange. We live in a global society. You see things from other cultures. You adopt, you adopt them. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, I think what I had been trying to say and what I did not say well in the book is that I think it would be great for us to be able to embrace global musics, but without it being something that then causes us to turn our backs against our own musics or whatever that yeah. means. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I had been trying to say. Mm, mm, no, I think you say it very interestingly. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose now there's also the question of sort of fusions between mm. Guaito and hip-hop. I think a lot of current hip-hop sort of tries to reference Guaito as a form of granting itself legitimacy in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, when you hear people referencing, say, TKZ right now or just um, diff diff even the use of the Guaito sound mm. uh, with rap over it in, in a Cuesta type way. Um, what do you think of, of the fusions between hip-hop and Guaito um, and, you know, whether whether that's something do you think that's welcome or do you think that mm. there's maybe some attempt at appropriation there? 
I think it's such an interesting twist because once upon mm. a time, like Guaido is being denigrated by hip hop people. So it's so cool now to see it become that. And I don't know how it would be cultural appropriation because, mm. Mm. I mean, Guaido is our reality. And I guess to some extent, hip hop is our reality as well. So I think it's that expression of so many selves that have existed. Um, sure. That people have been inspired by this thing. And I guess I think also people are struggling with the idea of the local as well and the idea of the identity. And people are always trying to look for that local aesthetic. I'm not the only mm. one. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that's what's happening. I think it'll be very interesting to see what's actually going to come out of this moment that we're in. Yeah, yeah, it should be. should be interesting to watch. And, you know, just to return to the book itself, um, this portrait of Mapaputsi, I think this is not one that you wrote. I yeah, think this is Sifa's one. Okay. Um, but I, I thought it was quite interesting um, just giving expression to the actual lives of these mm. Kwaito artists mm. who, we've, who we've watched. And, and of course, we can't fail to forget the songs, but actually a lot of the depth of thought that went into making a song like Izinja, for example, yes. Mapaputsi speaks about how this is, you know, this is, this is now post-apartheid, we're here and, mm. and you're not going to be able to suppress yeah. expression. Mm. Um, and I was just like, my mind was blown. I was yes. like, I've always listened to these songs, but never took the time to actually think about some of the messages and the people behind these, uh, these songs. Mm. No, um, it's, I think it's, a, it's, it's a job that Sitle did particularly well, um, with also just, spotlighting these people as artists because as much as we did this thing that's a political project we still wanted to get an idea of how they think and I think mm. Sitle brings Mapaputi's ideas and his interests I mean he even writes about the books that he likes and the fact that he likes dogs um, mm. but yeah mm. it was yeah yeah like uh, you know you, you listen to Izinja and you're like wow you didn't know that there's this yes. whole backstory about how yes. Mapaputi is like is deeply concerned with animal cruelty yes. and yes. how dogs have influenced his life it's it's fascinating stuff absolutely yeah um you know it's uh, i think one of one of the more important and interesting parts of this book is where you reflect on you know the appropriate critiques of guaito versus the inappropriate ones and you know you i think you deal really well with the fact that you know people say this is music without a message and that's not an appropriate critique but mm. you you do engage very directly with this question of gender mm. and with perhaps some of the ways that misogynistic messages have been infused in Guaito uh, and and you sort of sit with that tension because you you enjoy the music mm. but also reflect on on some of the ways that you think it's crucial we think through uh Guaito's implication in those messages mm. i think um there is, if, even, if, even if you think about the idea of black first, there's that idea of being protective of our identities because we're black. So mm. um, it was also something that was difficult for me to say, I'm looking at this genre that's already so contested and I'm going mm. to critique it because I want to be honest, but I don't like the way that it's been critiqued. But I think for me, the most sure. important thing to remember was that even as a young woman, I am still, I'm still black, do you get what I'm saying? So I must mm. still be safe within different spaces. So consuming Guaido and realizing that, okay, black men have been hypermasculinized, if that's a word, but mm. black men have been made to be hypermasculine. But at the same time, there are black men here 
contributing to a culture of misogyny. There are black men here being rapists and they're raping black women. And mm. that's not something that's acceptable. And I think the society is not neat and it doesn't have to be neat. That's something that we just have to deal with. And then we just have to trust that people can, you know, sift through it and understand it in a more rounded way. Mm, mm. And I think that's just quite an important thing in general in our society is, is you know, the, the need to feel protective of mm. whatever identity that, that resonates with us, but then also realizing that part of the role is an internal critique yes. at the same time. Absolutely. You know, uh, then we move from that sort of critique into a foregrounding of many of the women artists who were crucial to the development and the growth of Guaido. Uh, and you reflect on the experiences and also the artistic contribution uh, mm. of women in Guaido who are often overlooked. Can mm. you take us through a little bit about that, that portion of the book? Um, I must say that that came from, because originally what it wanted to do for my contribution to Born to Guaido is that I wanted half of the work that I did to just be like portraits of different mm. um, women in Guaido. But I think there's there there's still a story that must still be told, to be honest, mm. because mm. just people were so reserved. And I know that it's not because people are just not interested in speaking. I think there's really? just there's, there's just so much darkness there. But um, hmm. so, yes, and it was something that was so complicated because I had this idea of, okay, I'm going to write about these um, iconic women who did this and that. And then mm. when you go back in your research, it's so complicated because it's, oh, this person was actually 16 years old when they started. Mm. Oh, this person has, um, you think this person with a sexualized image chose to be like that, but then they tell mm. you, oh, my manager tamed me. I used to be a tomboy. Um, so mm. it was something that was very complicated. But I mean, that said, it was still amazing to watch women like Lebo Matosa, um, Brenda mm. Fazi, all these women use the same patriarchy, I guess, um, to make, I guess, lives for themselves and to build careers mm. to say that I can have a sexualized image and it can just be for myself. And that was um, Lebo Matosa's thing, that she wanted to inspire other women. She mm. liked being sexy. She liked dressing well. She liked acting and all these things, but it was not to center men. So I think for me, even though the music is great and everything, it's always nice to have a representational figure who's able to own themselves. But again, it's complicated by everything that happens behind mm. the scenes and around. You know, I found with with the portraits that I immediately wanted to go back to the music because it had changed yes. in my mind once I had recontextualized where it was coming from. Um, mm. How did how did you and do you return? Um, to to Guaido music now, having you know interrogated it in the ways that you have. Yeah, um, I mean, so much of it. Because the funny thing, right, is that some artists, because I'm 21 years old and I genuinely don't know everything, some artists had committed crimes that are gender-based violences or whatever in the past, and they're not mm. really widely spoken of. So I'd be listening to this and I'd be like, ah, oh, this is amazing. And then you go read about this person and you realize that this is what's happening. And mm. then you deal with the question of, do I throw this person away or do I still mm. do this? Can so you speak about the Macheu. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, that that's a really interesting part. Yes. Um, but yeah, I do go back 
and mm. I still have a good time. But now I I do it with responsibility. I do it trying to be true to all the things that I've claimed. Um, mm. That what I'm listening to is not necessarily harmful. And I mean, um, just to say, Tikezi's Halloween is turning twenty. I think next week. That's mm. a project that I always go back to. Um, so yeah, but Classic. I'm going back to widening my tastes, whatever. Yeah, the the section on Halloween, which for me in my life was definitely like the apotheosis of, of the quiet door moment. I, I must have been like 10 mm-hmm. in like a sort of Model C slash lower end yeah. private school in Joburg. And every single person was talking about the Halloween album and yes. we were like 10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was one. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better then. But... <laughs> Yeah, like that that moment just represented so much about I think what people remember affectionately mm. about sort of the the rise of Guaido mm. and, and 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 what it meant in the in the political context of the society at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um so you know, you also touch on questions of of how Guaido has influenced fashion mm. and vice versa. Mm. Uh and again, some of the the, the interesting political and just social messages that were sent through the, the fashion of Guaito and, and the Guaito of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, take us through some of your thoughts on, on, the, on that, that question. I think um, it was, when I first started thinking about it, it was particularly through the lens of the blue-collar un- uniform, right? And mm. it was looking at the EFF and what they were doing with making the working class visible in parliament by just being there in those clothes and I was looking at Guaido and thinking, okay, if that's a political statement, this was also definitely a political statement. And I think um, as far as Guaido is concerned with, um, if you think of people like Mzege Zege wearing overall orange, which is prisoners mm. wearing a balaclava. And then you think of Trompis wearing just overalls and it being quote unquote reminiscent of migrant labor. I think it was such a powerful tool of of communication and granted that having spoken to many people I've realized that sometimes it projects politics onto people but I think it's still a powerful statement to come out and say this is clothing that has been framed as shameful and you come out shamelessly and you make so much money wearing these things and this is how you fashion yourself and this is your aesthetic Mm. and I think on the women's side it was so liberating because you know we still live in a society where I can't really get out of my house wearing bum shorts unless I am prepared to be swearing at construction workers and other men all day. So mm. it was nice to see young women wear all those things that they wore. And I think it has had like an impact on how we fashion ourselves, even though we still have a long way to go. And then there's other just pieces that have stuck with us, like the bucket hat and the old stars. Mm. There's just so much about Guaito that was influential in such a pedestrian way, because I think it was such an an accessible form of, of fashion. The fact that it's cool to wear the overall, it's cool to mm. wear a bralette, fagus the old stars, and these are things that are staples now. So I think, yeah, yeah even when um, sonically, Guaito is something that is, oh, is it dead? Is it alive? Is it this? The fashion is always there. Mm, mm. And I suppose the other the other question that links to fashion is this one about language um, mm. and and the greater visibility of mm. 
different forms of language that were used in Kwaito that have sort of now become, ironically, as maybe a certain form of language has diminished, certain mm. phrases from Kwaito have become part of household conversations. Mm. Uh, mm. And you you both reflect on the way that, that the language used in Kwaito um, has affected South Africa in, in profound ways. Mm. I think um, as... Like you say, firstly, because we speak about different languages, we speak about Itotzital and Afrikaans, but then we speak about the language that we use in the sense of how we look at things. I think with Guaido, and especially with the way to to start with um, language, as in language within English or whatever, just meaning within language, if you follow mm. me, to start with Guaido as this thing where people are called Amafel Pop, and um, it's, you know, all these different labels to it. And when you start to deconstruct what that means and to understand that actually this stems from the fact that we lived in a classed society where certain bodies are already perceived as more violent than others or less respectable or things like that, and that trickles into how we treat people. And then I think if we would look at language, because that was something that was very, very interesting to me to write about the history of Tosital. Mm. and the history of Kumbay style and Afrikaans. And then we look at language as a symbol of power, as this thing where people can be erased and people can be made visible. And I lost mm. myself. Yeah. Mm. You lost yourself in the language of language. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Well, this is a good place to, to take a quick break, actually. Uh, it's now going to corner. You're with me, Cizo and Bofu Walsh, on this Literature Corner, and our last day tomorrow, uh, we are talking to Esnagondabeni, who's one of the authors of Born to Kwaito. Uh, and thanks very much for, for being with us, Esnago. Just a, a few more thoughts on this book before we, we round up our conversation. Uh, one of the things you reflect on is, is this intersection between Kwaito and film. Uh, you speak a little bit about Tsotsi and, and the importance of that film and, mm. and you analyze it a bit for us. We've spoken about fashion, we've spoken about language. How do you see the way that film and Kwaito intersected? I think um, the, also the very interesting that happens with the emergence of Kwaito is that the gangster movie becomes like the main thing for a while, right? And... Um, I think the first time that Guaido became a soundtrack to anything it was actually Yizo Yizo, and that's um, that's what Sisley wrote about. But I think um, because particularly Guaido is linked to the gangster movie, and I think it's also that reflection of township life and that interrogation of all the politics we have. I mean, when I write about um, the gangster figures in these movies, Tsotima Pansula and Jerusalem, I interrogate the systems that create that kind of figure. And I think that's also the story of Guaido. Um, because it's still that, even there's still this idea that, oh, Guaito is actually named after this gang from way back when called Amaguaito. There's always that link to thuggery or whatever that it is. And mm. it's something that criminality in South Africa is just so complex and so racialized and so classed. And I think that is a theme that shines through in Guaito and a theme that sh shines through in the gangster movie as well. And they just found a way to work with each other. And that's what happened. Absolutely. I think we've got a voice note that we'd like to like to play. Someone wanting to ask a question via voice note. Let's go to that now. Mm. Hi, Sizwe. I've read Point to Quieto and I had a pleasure of attending a launch that took place at the SAPC. So, yeah, I love the book, although I have to say that 
um, between the two, between AAC and the other writer, I forget his name now, he dealt more on the music why AC looked at the feminist part, if that's the correct term, of the music or the political part. And yeah, it was nicely written, although I think they could have done more, you know, in terms of giving us more as while listening to them, they had a wealth of knowledge, which is not really reflected in the book. That's just my contribution. Thanks. <laughs> Any plans for more, uh, Esnako? Listen, someone wants more, they got to write it. <laughs> oh, wow. The challenge, the challenge has been set down. Um, but um, yeah, I yeah. think I would agree that um, Sisley delved into the music more and that I delved into the politics more. But um, I think I was just very interested in people interrogating what popular culture means for us, like on a level of which I respect music as something that stands on its own. But on the level of this is the kind of impact that these things have on people. And this is how people think because of these things. And I appreciate that I was writing with a journalist then who was able to bring something that I couldn't, clearly. And I think in the end it worked. And I think there will always be um, space for people to do more, to interrogate more. We can't be proud of everything that happened. But I think certainly we have contributed to something that other people can also now contribute to. And we can have that conversation. And I think there's nothing better than people interrogating this thing and saying, well, I'm not satisfied I think we should add this to this and then people can join the conversation and do it themselves. Yep, yep, absolutely. And we do need we do need more from, from many more sources. So as as we round off, I think in the final part, you kind of throw forward to the future. You speak a little bit about the way that Kwaito is influencing the present through mm. hip hop, through uh Gorm as well. Uh, and you end with this quote So much more than party music, Kwaito created cultural and economic opportunity for South Africa's black youth. I must allow myself to move on now. Kwaito will live on for far longer than I or this book will be because it is an identity, a loaded history with profound reflections on the life of everyday South Africans in post-apartheid South Africa. So now I will take lessons from the Kwaito generation into my generation and beyond. Mm. Uh, Just your final thoughts on moving forward uh, and how we reflect on Kwaito as we go into ever ever newer eras. Um, well, people are always asking, is Guaito dead? Is Guaito dead? And I'm just like, well, whatever it is, however you want to put it, what's happening right now is very different. Even this neo Guaito thing that's happening with people sampling Guaito mm. or recreating Guaito, it's a different moment. And all I would like to be able to do, because I'm spending so much time reflecting on that, that I don't get to be present in this moment and to write about this moment. And all I, all I was saying is that I think there's so much to learn from that history. And there's so much to learn about us being a responsible society that kind of encourages our artists and also discourages our artists from certain things. And it's so important for us to archive and interrogate popular cultures because, I mean, the number of people who listen to music in South Africa is far higher than the number of people who read books. So that's mm-hmm. a very powerful medium of passing down ideologies, even if you don't mean it. Um, and I think probably that would be the biggest lesson, but also how to preserve our cultures in a way that it doesn't come that like 15 years later, it's, oh, are you dead? Are you alive? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Esnakondabeni, one of the writers of Born to Kwaito. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.